Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm excited today to have Bradley Berman on with me. Hi, Bradley. Hi, Diane. How are you? Good. And Bradley and I actually met in person last week at the Boulder International Film Festival, where he was showing this wonderful, touching film called Jack Has a Plan. So I, of course, couldn't help myself, jumped out of my cinema seat, ran down and introduced myself. And I'm just really excited to talk more about this movie and bring it to a wider audience. Thank you. I appreciate that. So tell us tell us a little about Jack Has a Plan. I mean, I've been hearing about it for a few months on Facebook and so on, but oh, cool. tell us about the film. Uh, it's a 73-minute feature documentary, a personal documentary about uh, my very close friend, Jack Tuller, who um, as a young man, you know, relatively young man in his early 30s, was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor and given six months to live but he lived for 25 years. So that gave him a front row seat, like a kind of a unique experience with mortality, with the impermanent nature of life, and with an amazing comfort to discuss death openly. But even more than that, he was a lifelong performer, musician, and this charismatic, very funny guy. So he makes the ideal guide through the experience of like, what, how do you approach the end when you know it's coming? How do you resolve both the medical side of things, but also the personal family dynamics? Because a lot of us have um, kind of unresolved issues with life and family. And he went about making a plan for how to resolve those things. So we're now about halfway through a 35 film festival run all across the country, meeting people, talk, sharing Jack's story, having discussions with a lot of end-of-life doulas, uh, hospice care clinicians, palliative folks, and and the general audience, you know, general film buffs, um, because it's it's first and foremost a story. It's a film. It's not an advocacy film for any particular outcome. It's just the story of Jack Teller and what happened to him. That is so well put, Bradley. I, I found the, the thread of the story to be so moving. And Jack happens to be a good storyteller, as are you and the team that put this put this story together. And was this this was not your first movie, but it's not like you've been a filmmaker for your whole life. No. Uh, well, I studied art and photography and filmmaking as a young man. And then I really primarily became a writer. Um, I mean, a content guy and all different kinds of I've worked in museums. I've worked on big websites. I've done a little bit of marketing. And, you know, I've been a, a journalist covering primarily transportation. Uh, I write for The New York Times and other publications about the kind of new breed of more eco-friendly cars. I've been doing that for 20 years, like well before Tesla even came about. So during that time um, in the, in about already now, let's see, about 10 years ago, I decided to make a film about a local election in the Bay Area where I'm from. Um, and that did well. And then uh, it was called Nat Bates for Mayor. It's about it was uh, election in the Bay Area's kind of overlooked oil town about the different political factions there. 
Um, that's a that's a feature, and I played on PBS locally and in film festivals. And then right at that same time, Jack, my good friend Jack, said, "Oh, well, your next film should be about me." And I'm like, "Why should it be about you?" I mean, I I knew his unique story and I knew his unique personality, but I really was not keen to <laughs> just launch into a film about him. Um, but he convinced me, and especially. You know, he had gone through a second bout of um, of seizures. Um, he, he had a to say he was ill for 25 years might be a little bit of a stretch because he had his first bout and then he had a reprieve for you know more than a decade. Um, but always kind of wondering what was happening because this was after surgery and after other kinds of treatment. Um, so he he knew he knew he he knew that his life expectancy was diminished as a result of having two surgery two brain surgeries and um he knew his capacities to think to read to reason to um to have endurance to you know, do all kinds of things. He knew that was diminished. And so he had a lot of time to make a plan. And that's what he wanted the film to be about. And so we just, event over time, we just decided to start and just hang out and record. And he was, a, like you said, he's a great storyteller. So he, I would turn the camera on and he would start telling stories about how, what he was thinking about or what, he, where he, you know, where he wanted to go that day or about his parents or about any number of things and that got built up over a six-year period and it enabled me to see and to capture this this trajectory of how do you have a truly like enlightened compassionate experience in the final how do you write basically how do you write your life story especially the, the final chapters and and he really had what like Barbara Carnes, a great educator, has referred to as like precious time. He really had this extended precious time with his wife, with his family to kind of say, and with, with friends, friends were so dear to him. It's so clear in the film to say, how do I want to write this story? Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting that part of that to him was let's make a film. And, and it does <laughs> seem like he had this impetus to share wider than his circle so yeah. that people could learn from it. I mean, as you said, it's not a it's not a film that promotes a certain point of view or has a right idea. And yet it says this is one person's experience and this is what he did. Yes. I mean he he so he, he was funny in how he did it. He used to I would say, well why do you want to do this? He said, well he was a big jazz fan. He said Louis Armstrong has been passed away decades and people are still enjoying his music and love it you know it's all around the world and some small way and it's even in the film he says i just want to tell a little story i just want to leave a, le a little bit of a legacy yeah yeah and to happen to have a, a friend who was a filmmaker who could do this and bring it forward i i really valued i mean you must have gone over hours and hours and hours of film because one of the things that's a thread in the film is just the simple everyday, just having a cup of coffee and having a conversation and 
going for a walk. And you described that you would make little clips for him to see. Right. Like I, the, the, the um, traditional or, or sort of textbook way to make a documentary is first of all, you plan it out the whole thing. Like you, you have an intention that it's going to be a feature film or a short or whatever it is. We didn't do any of that. Right, you kind of you kind of create the trajectory that will say the message you want it to say, and that isn't what you did. Right, right. You start at the end. You say like, "This is the message I want to deliver," and how do I build up a story to to do that? I mean, that's one kind of genre of of this. So, um, the the conventional way to do these things is you shoot for weeks or months or years, and then you take another set of weeks or months of years to edit something, and then you have a rough cut, right? Well, the final chapter of the story, you know, Jack passes away. You know, no, no, uh, no, um, no spoiler, no spoiler, no, no, spo no spoilers there. That's that's what happens. So I didn't want to um, have. I wanted him to participate. I mean, this was his idea. This was he was ostensibly a writer of this film. Um, he was the performer. He it was a lot of it was improvisational, but it was these are his his ideas. I didn't want him never to see any of it. So instead, I mean, in the film world, people call these dailies, but we I didn't show him all the that would have been boring. Like to go if we shot for an hour, I'm not going to show him all hour of the footage. I would cut out cut little highlight reels, and but I just wouldn't cut the highlights and edit the highlights. I'd put put it to music and try to you know take get to find the laughs in there and the funny things and the visually interesting things. So we made a series of about 15 little three and four minute YouTube videos. We didn't try to distribute them beyond just our, for our friends, but we called it a few minutes with Jack. That was the operated operative title. And this was a way that when someone, I mean, it's kind of a cool idea. Think about that. Like if you know that someone who you love has limited time and yet all of us, very few of us, I should say, stop what we're doing. You know, we have jobs, we have kids, we have all these things. We're not going to stop what we're doing. And, and you know, we, we don't, we're pressed for time in this busy, you know, highly connected world. So I, he would, we would get together, I would shoot something, uh, cut together a little three or four minute reel or little story, gave it a title and it had a funny opening line, uh, you know, opening music. And that allowed all of us, even those who weren't able to come see him because of distance or busyness, to spend a few minutes with Jack. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Such a sweet way for the community to come together in this visual and verbal way that Jack had. One of the things I really, really loved about the movie is the title, Jack Has a Plan. And on the one hand, you know, you go to the film and you know, well, Jack has a plan and this is that he's going to end his life before this brain tumor robs him of all capacity. But there were nuances to it. I don't think it gives anything big a way to say that there's a really moving piece with his wife towards the end. And it, it sort of surprised me and I loved it where she said, you know, Jack has a plan and the plan was to be with friends and family until the end. And I thought, oh, that's what the title means, you know? And I think- Jack had a plan to make a movie that would show a story and Jack had a plan to end his life and Jack had a plan to love his family and friends to the very last moment. 
So there were these great layers to the title that I just thought. Yeah, was I mean, it was weird. It was almost self-fulfilling or something like uh, we, uh, our good friend, mutual friend, Matt Erebarn, who's a writer, came up with the title. And as soon as it hit, I was like, yeah, that that's a good. And then then once we had the title, we were continuing to edit. And then people kept talking about his like it was already in the footage, but his like his uh, mother-in-law who loved him dearly was his uh, de facto mom. She said, I don't know if I'll ever understand that this is your plan to do like there's that word plan again. Yeah, the the word plan kept creeping up after like it it just got it just emerged like so many other aspects of this project. Yeah, it it really unfolded in such a great way. There there were just so many moving parts to this film, and I, you know I don't want to talk about it in a way that gives it away, but there's this I I think it's really wonderful that the midsection is really about kind of Jack coming to terms with limited time. And given that he had limited time, two people that he wanted to reach out to were his parents who he was not in contact with. And so he goes on this extensive, totally serendipitous thing that turns out finding his father that you know really is one of the real heart pieces in the film, his father's response to him showing up. Totally, they were separated when Jack was three months old. Um, and the parents were separated and he lost track of his father. So there were 55 years there that he did not have, you know, that there was a gap between being three months old and, and, you know, nearly, you know, a third of the way through his 55th year. And then they had, you know, to make up for, for lost time. But the, what you're, what you're describing is the kind of the structure of the film is it's classic three act structure. You know, like the first, first act is, um, and it, there's almost like an allegorical feel to it. Um, it's a documentary, but it feels like a narrative story. And so the first third is we get to know him. We understand his condition, right? And then we see that his days are numbered. And then he goes into the second act, which is it's all quest. about family. Yeah, it's yeah. all about like feeling good and understanding who like again these like unfinished business fan like this is not a medical film it's about medical aid and dying in a sense but it's not a medicalized film so the second act is about all those personal things that really make you connect with him and see him as a whole person and then finally in the you know the final third it comes back you almost forget like wait a second is he ill you know, like, oh, yeah, that's what this is about. Like, you remember, and, that, and then it just, I think it gives a richness to it that the audiences have really responded to. Absolutely, absolutely. And you see the love of his friends, too. And I thought it was so really powerful also that even right at the end, right at this party with his dear friends, at the very end, when he knows the time that he plans to take the medication, his friends are kind of still arguing about it. And um, arguing isn't even quite the right word. They're still discussing this and they're, yeah. they're the, the ethical issues of it. And the one friend says so clearly, you know, if he was going to die by shooting himself with a gun, I would stop him. So how is this any different? And and you capture that on film. I don't know if it was you filming or somebody else, but so- no, I was filming. Yeah, I mean, this right was all there. shot. I shot all this completely myself because I didn't want to have a crew and, you know, encroach upon these personal scenes. 
Wow. Wow. So right there in the final, like social party and goodbye party and sort of love fest, there's also this intense philosophical debate going on among his friends. Like, I don't feel okay about this. Well, I don't either, but it's his choice. And what do we do? And I just, that to me was really moving that it didn't have some kind of neat resolution. Like everybody was on board and everybody supported Jack's plan. It's like, no, this was really hard. And there was still respect for Jack's plan. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when the lights come up and we showed in movie theaters and there's I know it's having an impact because you can, you know, see people laugh. They at one point they cheer. People are you can hear the sniffles. People are crying. And so there's not like a giant round of applause at the very end. I mean, there's a good side of applause, uh, but it's not giant because people are baffled. The audience like that's what you want, like because that's how life is. Like you want, that's the, like, that's good to me. Good storytelling and good art is not neat, tidy packages, but provoke thought, provoke feelings, right? I, yeah. I think you leave the audience wrestling. Like you really, as the audience member, you say to yourself, wow, what would I do? Yeah. I think that's a really, like you said, a powerful film. I mean, what, what do you, what do you hope audiences take away from the movie? Yeah, I mean that's what we that's what I wanted. I mean that's I mean I don't there's I, there's no neat packages in terms of what I wanted, but I think what happens is um, like let everybody sort through these issues themselves. First of all, realize that like, it's okay to talk about death. <laughs> Jack was so open about it, right? This is a taboo that needs to come down so that we can have discussions. Secondly, that the individual as as it didn't make it to the film, but I've one of the care one of the, our friends said, "You don't know what anyone's feeling till you've walked a mile in their moccasins." That's how he cutely said it. It's like the Jack got to decide. We we might not agree. We might nobody not everybody needs to agree with what the person who's going through the dying process is experiencing or wants, but it's not up to us. It's up to them. Right. So we can have these two conflicting feelings in our mind at the same time. And those, I mean, it, that's another part of the baffling nature of it is that you can say, I don't want you to go. I'm going to miss you a lot. I like, can't you stay another day? Um, can't you stay another month? Isn't there, isn't there some way we could work our way out of this, just buy some more time? Um, and so you can have all those feelings about not wanting to lose your, your loved one. And at the same exact time, have kind of an opposite feeling, which is, you know what you want. You know where the line is drawn. And so I can respect that. The word paradox comes to mind, right? It's this exquisite paradox of believing in Jack and trusting his truth and then having your own conflicted feelings and mixed up response yeah. to it. And I guess it's like the friends and family shown in the movie, they really had their own response and emotions while also making space for Jack. It, it was really, I, I thought it really also captured how death is a communal event. Yeah. And, you no, know, in the very, very final bit, it's Jack and his wife 
it's really Jack and Jennifer right at the end. At the same time, it was very much a community communal experience of dear friends. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. And I think another reason that we kind of got lucky in terms of the filmmaking is that Jack was so good at having friends. You know, he was such a, he just, he was a good friend to so many people and everyone rallied around him. And, and it was a group of like articulate, loving people. So, and kind of all of the same, um, you know, open spirit of dialogue and so like a lot of, I think, I mean, you, you know, better than I do is in your work as an end of life doula endeavors to that probably, you know, some people are afraid to talk about it or they don't want to talk about it or some other folks just, you know, uh, all, too many issues come out, but we, you know, we were just good law, very long-term friends. And so it just opened up the possibilities for us to, uh, again, kind of a paradox, we could disagree, right? But nobody stormed off, got mad, and turned the table over and said, "I'm out of here," right? Like I can't I'm, be friends. I can't be friends. Can't, with this is over. Like I can't deal with this anymore. We all just, even like you say, right up to the very last sentence, like, "What do we? What do we like?" It's the confounding nature of death itself, in a way. It's like, yeah, it's inevitable. Well, I am so grateful that, you know, Jack had this idea of capturing it on film, not really knowing where it would end up. And you, you know, rose to that challenge and said, okay, I'll try to film this and see where it goes. And then, you know, you really gave a nice shout out at the movie theater where we met you to the whole team, that it really yes. was a team that made it so coherent. Oh, one more funny thing I have to mention is I yeah. just loved the little funny black and white old movie clips uh -huh. that were interspersed. And that was part of the thread of the story that I think captured Jack's sense of humor and the whole kind of liveliness of it. I mean, when the when the mad scientist mixes up a potion and slugs back the drink from some yeah. 1940s black and white film, yeah. it just added, I don't even know, it's not like it added levity. It almost added... I don't know, culture, weight. I, I don't yeah. know. It was yeah. Cool yeah. We aspect. needed a way to get inside Jack's head a little bit. Also like a little bit of a palate cleanser. Like let, let's, let's see where we are and, and like take a big step back and take a, you know, think about the like levity, humor, kind of artistry, distance. And then, so when you pop back in, like right after that shot of, I forget what it was from. I think it was like even, I think it was Frankenstein even, or something. Yeah, like yeah I, I have to look it back up. I forget. So, you, you know, the mad scientist takes the potion and then it cut right to Jack's face, like looking a little bit like that scientist, frankly, because he saw the, the ability to, you know, to work a little magic in his own life or death. Yeah. Well, it was just a brilliant film. So when and where and how do people see this? What's happening with distribution with independent films these days? It's not easy. Um, we, uh, first of all, jackdocumentary.com is a, or facebook.com slash jackdocumentary are ways to follow our tour um, it is, you know, continuing to make its way across the country. We're adding more stops as well. Um, so that's one way. If you don't see it coming to a theater near you, 
use the contact form and say, oh, I would love to bring it to here. Like we've worked with end of life doulas to bring it to different communities we have. And then um, Diane, you and I, we're going to work on having a special uh, screening sometime in the next couple of months. Yep. So we're, we're figuring it out. Um, we're, we haven't made some, you know, major breakthrough where it's in every cineplex throughout the country, or it's not necessarily on a, you know, major broadcast or cable casting or streaming service at this point. Not but maybe yet. not yet. But maybe not someone, yet. someone in the earshot of, of your podcast will say, "Oh, I know how to do this." Um, but we, we believe in the story. I mean, this is the main thing. You were in the audience. You know. Like we had two audiences of about 200 each in Boulder and there wasn't a dry eye in the house and the impact, like people get up afterwards. And it's not just to like tout my great team's filmmaking skills, which they definitely have. It's the fact that something happened. Like we captured a little um, magic in a bottle of, of uh, lightning in a bottle of this incredible life story that happened right just it just happened and i was lucky enough to to get it and to tell it and so every time we show it people say i will never i mean multiple people every showing and who knows how many people think it but don't say it i will never forget the story for the rest of my life or i've never had felt like this in the theater before so now it's just we want to take the, I mean, maybe we've shown it 40 times or 50, that's a lot, 40 times, 50 times. We want to turn that into a thousand. So anybody who's hearing this that wants to help us get to those thousand screenings, you know, I mentioned the websites or they can contact you and we can figure out how to do that. Great. I love it. Again, it's jackdocumentary.com. Yes. And I've been talking with Bradley. Thank you so much, Bradley, for making this film and for talking to me today. Thank you, Diane. Thanks so much for this exposure. Every little bit helps. And it's a whole community. And there's a whole move. As you know, you're part of it. There's a movement underway. And I'm glad that the film could kind of help spur that along. I couldn't agree more. Well, thanks so much. You've been listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast with Diane Hullett and Bradley Berman. And you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.